Hello, and thank you so much for joining us here at Quarto Kids Cast. I'm your host, Mel Schuett, and today I'm joined by guest Claire Cox Starkey, author of Lore of the Wild Folklore and Wisdom from Nature. You know, we knock on wood or whatever different things, and it's such a kind of shared global thing. Everyone's got and uses folklore, but you perhaps don't think about it because it's so sort of innate, it's just part of our everyday lives. Traditional nature folklore can help us understand how our ancestors interacted with the world around them and allows us to view nature from a new perspective. Lore of the Wild inspires appreciation of different cultures, as well as engagement with the beauty of the natural environment, and is a treasure trove of superstitions, ancient wisdom, and enchanting folktales. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Claire Cox Starkey, author of Lore of the Wild. Hello, I'm Claire Coxstarkey, author of Lore of the Wild. Hi, Claire. I'm very excited to talk to you about this book. It's incredibly special and beautiful. I feel like we should start at the very basic question of where did the idea for this book come from? Ooh, that is a good question. Um, I think it came mainly from my interest in folklore, which I've held for a very long time, combined um, with all the many dog walks I've gone on with my children where I'm, I'm walking in the fields, I'm noticing plants and flowers and animals and I always point them out to my children. Um, and I noticed that they were so much more interested when I could come up with a bit of folklore to kind of get their interest peaked. So I don't know, say if we found a beetle lying on its back, I might say, oh, in folklore, it's considered good luck to put a beetle back on its feet. And suddenly the children would be all interested in the beetle engaged in the natural world. Um, and I just kind of felt like nature folklore is such a good way to get kids looking at nature and feeling connected to all the stories going on around them um, that I thought it would make a really great kids book. It certainly did. So you, you're walking around with your kids. Where, how did it, this become a book? So how did you, what was your research process like? And how did you sort of end up choosing what would be included in the final book? Um, as with most of these things, it goes through various iterations when I'm first thinking about it. So I had the idea at first and initially it was very much kind of um, anchored to British folklore because that's what I most know about. Um, but as I kind of was working it up into an idea to pitch um, to publishers, um, I started to think that actually it would be really cool to try and include more uh, folklore from all around the world and, and mythology and stories um, to build up a kind of bigger picture. And as I kind of started um, kind of compiling it together, I, I saw, saw themes emerging. So I started to think about, well, we should do a whole chapter on birds because there's so many different birds, you know, from seabirds to um, farmyard birds. Um, and likewise with trees, there's flowering trees, deciduous trees, evergreen trees. So it kind of just started to build up from there. Um, and then when I started researching the book, I, I, as usual, went to the library, sat there with many kind of books of world folklore and started to kind of go through and pick out stories. And it, it kind of really built from there. I always love this question. Did anything interesting end up on the cutting room floor? Because there's there's a lot of information packed into this book, but at some point, you know, you, you have to pare things down. Yeah, I mean, I'm not known for um, my brevity, so I had to cut a lot. Um, and also some things are so detailed that it was just too difficult to try and make them 
kind of short and punchy and appropriate for kids. So lots of those sorts of things got cut. Um, and some things were just too creepy or ghoulish, which personally I love. But yeah. I don't want to creep out the kids too much. I mean, there's only so many omens of death, I think children really want to hear about. Um, so quite a few of those sorts of things did up, end up on the cutting room floor. What were some of the bigger challenges that you encountered with this book? Ooh, well, actually, speaking of death, it was probably that. I mean, certainly in British folklore, nearly everything is an omen of death. Sure. <laughs> oh my goodness, this is just going to be constant see a black cat and it means you're going to die. See a ladybird, it means you're going to die. See a, a flower drooping, it means you're going to die. And I was like, hmm, maybe that's not the best message to give to children. <laughs> it was a challenge um, trying to stay away from the kind of gruesome stuff and find the positive stuff, but there are also tons of positive things and so many wonderful stories. Um, that actually is kind of the more you look into it, the more you can find, um, you know, great stories to kind of engage children with nature. Speaking of which, what do you, you don't want kids to take away that they're going to die tomorrow. So what do you want kids to take away from your book? And why do you think a title like this is so valuable for young children? Um, I, I feel like what's so lovely about the book are the incredible illustrations by H. Um, and I hope that the kind of words that I've put together will just spark children's imagination that combined with the pictures, it will just set their little brains off and allow them to imagine, you know, kind of slightly more magical world um, and kind of feel that closeness to nature and animals and plants and, and kind of hark back, I guess, to a time when we used to yeah, I guess our lives are a lot more ruled by nature. So, you know, when you saw the first swallows, you knew that summer was coming or when you saw the leaves of a certain tree fall, you knew that that was autumn. You know, those kind of um, seasonal markers that that were so important to people back before weather forecasts and such like. So I, I hope that it, it kind of um, will help children to to kind of reconnect with nature and reconnect with sort of oral storytelling. I was going to say, I feel like those are the two key takeaways from the book is reconnecting with nature and reconnecting with oral storytelling. So I love that. Did you find um, that anything particularly surprised you in your research? Ooh, um, I guess one of the things that surprised me, although it shouldn't really, is that um, folklore is so contradictory so in one country, seeing a, a black cat is good luck. And in another, it's bad luck. Um, and, you know, you get bits of law, like in Wales, they say, see, seeing a lone fox on its own is good luck. But seeing a group of foxes is bad luck. And it just seemed like, um, you know, it doesn't seem to always kind of make sense why they picked uh, one version. It's even regional, like in one part of Italy, something might be good luck and another part it would be bad luck so it's it I think that's what's so nice about folklore is it's so um sort of tied to place it's it's such a kind of geographic thing and um the way that it's passed on through family to family I'm sure each family has actually got their own little bits of folklore that not necessarily other people share but um it's that kind of nice feeling that you know 
these bits of lore that are passed on generation to generation are kind of so tied to a specific geographic location. Have you attended Quarto Classroom yet? Quarto Classroom is a free video library on YouTube of Quarto's creators using their books as teaching tools in educational spaces. With classes aimed at all ages, Quarto Classroom videos are the perfect way to ensure children are learning no matter the subject or setting. Search for Quarto Classroom on YouTube or visit quartonose.com forward slash r forward slash Quarto Classroom to start learning. That's Q-U-A-R-T-O-K-N-O-W-S dot com forward slash r forward slash Quarto Classroom. And yet I feel like they kind of all at the same time bring all of us together because even though one place might be like, oh, black cats are bad and the other black cats are good. It's just this cultural like touch point that everyone has a story about black cats, which I think is particularly interesting. Yeah, I love the fact that, you know, if you bring up something, oh, you know, like, for example, I've randomly taught my children to when we see a, a single magpie, we always salute it. So we do a little salute and then we say, g'day, Miss Magpie, how's your wife? And then we also tell it where we're going, which was uh, just something that I'd always done throughout my life and kind of taught, been taught in childhood. And when you bring it up and say to someone, oh, this is what we do, then invariably they'll say, oh, well, we do something different. We say this rhyme or we do, you know, we knock on wood or whatever different things. And it's such a kind of shared global thing. Everyone's got and uses folklore, but you perhaps don't think about it because it's so sort of innate. It's just part of our everyday lives. We, we're so used to just doing these things passed down. I love it. I love that too. I just love that. Yeah. Like I said, that it sort of brings people together. And I feel like this book has a very broad scope. And like you said, really touches on stories from all parts of the world. And so it, it's just fun to be reading this book and be like, oh, that's so funny. Cause I do something totally different when I see a magpie or when I see a black cat. So it's, it's fun to sort of get that cultural view almost. Definitely. Definitely. And, and to see how different countries view different animals or, or plants or birds and, and have their own stories to tell and their own kind of characters, folkloric characters, which are often so interesting to read about. Yeah, and I feel like that kind of feeds into my next question, which you sort of already talked about it, sort of paring down all that information. How did you, I mean, you've got, you know, let's we'll call them disparate cultural stories from all these different places about one thing. So how did you choose what would be represented in the book? And how did you pare down everything that you found? Well, with great difficulty, because there's so much incredible stuff out there and I wanted to share it all, but I knew that I had to obviously try and pare it down. And one of the things, that, um, one of the factors was definitely whether I could see it being a good visual um, item, because I think, you know, the, the whole point of the book is that it's beautiful to look at. Um, and I, as, as I was writing, I wanted to be able to visualize, uh, you know, the, the character or the, the animal and, and, and see it kind of come to life. Um, so that was definitely a factor. Um, and there's, just, you know, there's some such beautiful illustrations. Like I absolutely love the um, picture of Cat Sith, who's the fairy cat. Um, I think that's my favorite too. <laughs> which goes with the law that, you know, if you look into a, a black cat's eyes, you can see the, the fairy realm and, and the picture is of this beautiful cat with these huge eyes. And then H has done these little fairies right in the, the eyes. 
Um, and it just really brings to life that bit of law. And so that was that was definitely a, a, a strong reason why I kind of picked certain bits of law. And then also to have them kind of to complement each other. So some things to be uh, packed about sort of creatures like fairies and then others to be about good or bad luck. And then some to kind of show more of a story. So perhaps to introduce a folktale. So it's just trying to kind of get a really good worldwide scope I guess on each topic and then I imagine there's a lot of working with internal editors and designers <laughs> to get all that information to fit into the book yeah absolutely um they did an amazing job kind of putting it all together because you know I just deliver it as a word document and then it's so incredible to see it then transformed into something with you know the writing kind of curves and flows around the pictures and how they placed it all it's such a kind of it's a group effort really and um yeah it's I'm so so happy with how it's turned out I mean especially with H's illustrations you already mentioned them but my goodness they are breathtaking yeah and they're so perfect because they they have that incredible folky yeah vibe um they she's really captured the kind of essence um and yeah the pictures are so engaging and I I you know my own children when I, I gave them a copy, we were just absolutely spellbound by the pictures and spent ages just really looking at them in detail and talking to me about the different, you know, elements they could see. And I loved that. I mean, I remember myself as a child poring over books and, you know, the illustrations were so key to kind of uh, communicating that story. And I feel like H has done that absolutely brilliantly, you know, that it should appeal to, you know, tiny kids who can't read right up to big kids like me. Yeah, I mean, this is a book that you could give to a very, very young child and they're gonna hold on to it forever and continue, like learn to read it and they're gonna learn to look at the illustrations more deeply and there's so much to look at. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's reverse just a little bit and talk about you. What can you tell us about your career and your background and how your work contributed to Lore of the Wild? Ooh, um, well, I've been a writer for, 10, 15 years now, um, but largely I, I write for adults, but always nonfiction. Um, and my, my kind of thing is, I guess, uh, sort of quirky histories. Um, so I'm always trying to kind of make people raise an eyebrow and go, huh, I didn't know that. That's kind of my, my area. Gotcha. Um, but I also uh, write for children's science magazine called With Pop Bang. That kind of got me into writing for children a bit more and, and finding ways to more simple language to kind of uh, explain complex concepts and things. Um, and obviously I have children myself, so that kind of made me want to write for kids more. Um, and then I'm also uh, studying for a PhD part-time in folklore, funnily enough. Although oh, wow. Folklore. I'm doing folklore of death, <laughs> so uh, it's not quite as jolly or, or child friendly, perhaps. But um, it, it's yeah, my interest in folklore is is um, goes back a long way, and it kind of has fed into lots of work that I've done over the years, and it just feels like a real sort of culmination, I guess, in my passions to finally put together a children's book on folklore because I feel yeah, like I, I hope it counts as your thesis a lot of work went into this book 
if only I should maybe try and get extra credits. <laughs> you definitely should. Or I mean, that's at least a couple of, you know, semesters worth of credits right there. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been a real dream come true to actually work on a book like this. Um, and it's kind of, yeah, so many of my passions come together as once. It's, it's been, it's been so nice. That is incredible. Um, before we wrap up our time together, I wanted to ask you one final question that I ask everyone who stops by the podcast. And that is what makes you love a book? What draws you back into a book? And you started talking about illustrations. So I feel like I know where this is going, but I would love to have you share with us. What makes you love a book? Ooh, I think for me, I love a book that um, makes me want to know more and kind of sparks my imagination I like things that kind of lead me on a journey leave me room to kind of play with it in my head so that's why I love illustrated books because the pictures add that extra element that you can look at and then let your mind kind of build on it and think on it and it, it kind of grows into something bigger so that's what makes me love a book I love that keeping, I mean, that's exactly, I feel like what Lore of the Wild is. So you wrote the book that you love the most. Yeah, woohoo! Woo well, thank you so much, Claire. This has been an absolute delight. Oh, thank you, Mel. It's been great. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to our chat with Claire Cox Starkey. Lore of the Wild, Folklore and Wisdom from Nature is available online and in bookstores and libraries worldwide on September 21st, and you can find some pre-order goodies online by visiting our website at quartonose.com. We would love to see you subscribe to Quarto Kids Cast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can find all available episodes at anchor.fm slash Cast. And hey, if you're enjoying Quarto Kids Cast, we'd be grateful if you left a review so others can hear about it too. Special thanks to Scott Holmes for our theme music, Steve Roth for his promotional vocal stylings, Claire Cox Starkey for stopping by to talk to us, and of course you, the listener, for tuning in. Until next time.